0: This podcast is a Royfield brown production. Find others on iTunes.
2: Alright. Yeah, I know.
3: In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. Today we speak to artist actor Charlotte Martin about the art of voice acting. I Can't Go For That is a song by the American duo Hall & Oates. The song was released as the second single from their album Private Eyes in 1981. The song became the fourth number one hit single of their career on the Billboard Hot 100. Charlotte, after playing Susan Carter for some 35 odd years, what's the secret of being a rather good voice actor?
4: I think with any acting, uh, the secret to being a good actor, whether it be stage, radio, um, television, whatever, is really listening to the other people that you're acting with. I think having a great love of interactions into personal relationships I think is, is, a, is a real foundation I think if you weren't really interested in people and what they did to one another and how they, how they reacted to one another then I think that you wouldn't have a, a cat's hope in hell really of being a, a good actor because I think it all comes down to that You've got to really understand your character, but I think one of the blessings of being in something like The Archers for such a long time has been that I've been able, and we all have, that you know, those of us who've been in it for a few years have been able to develop a character along with the writer. So it's kind of it's almost like a dance, really, between the actor and the writer. So describe that
3: dance, that slow quadrille over kind of thirty-five years. How exactly, as a new actor, do you go into playing this role and then help to develop the character? after so long.
4: It's interesting because when I first was got the part of Susan, it was you know it's like anything. I suppose it's like starting to write a book. You you have these descriptors. You have you know kind of five foot four, black hair, whatever, um, and that's all you have got to go oh, on. Oh no
3: no no, my Susan isn't five foot four.
4: No no, well, that, well <laughs> she was, <laughs> but you have those very basic that very basic skeleton really, mm-hmm. and then it's up to the actor to to actually use their expertise to 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 put. Flesh on that skeleton, I suppose. You know, when I first came into the programme all those many years ago, I used to record some of the episodes just to hear how I was doing and I, because you haven't got an audience reaction. So, I mean, you've got the guys in the box, obviously, and the director, but it's not like being on stage, for example. And when I listen back to those, she's so young and so... Thomas Mm -hmm. Hardy-ish because because I'd gone into the program and they said oh you know you're a local country girl and so of course I thought oh you know I'll just talk like that and do all that kind of stuff and it's interesting uh, over the years how I've added more and more flesh to that character and more and more dimensions to that do you add that
3: consciously is it subconscious is it Mm -hmm. your interpretation of the direction Mm -hmm. that you get or are you being told
4: It's a combination of all sorts Um, but I think when you've been in it a few years the directors really trust you to know what your character would or how your character would react Go back to the point earlier on about being an actor and and, and wanting to know about interpersonal relationships and, and, and the way people respond to one another It's about that so I know that purposely I will go into certain scenes with things that I've absorbed from my everyday life when I've been standing in the supermarket listening to someone chat or sitting on the tube listening to a a couple have an argument or or whatever it is and i think that's what actors do they absorb um a lot of a lot of the stuff that's that's around them and whether that comes out purposely or whether it just seeps out um, subconsciously which i'm sure it does happen that's how you use and develop your skills as as an actor
3: but you, you kind of trained in kind of psychology, haven't you? So you, yes. uh, you, what you seem to be describing to me is kind of the same thing—that you're a watcher and a study of humanity—and mm-hmm. then you, so you channel that into both of your professional lives, it seems.
4: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, people often say to me, "Oh my goodness, how can you have two disparate careers like that?" But I absolutely agree with what you have just said. I think the two things. i I wouldn't have become an actor if i hadn't had an understanding and an interest in the human condition and people and likewise i wouldn't have trained in psychology if i didn't have that same interest so they're very closely aligned so tell me
3: about the reason why you wanted to become an actor because i'm presuming you could shoot me down and tell me i'm completely utterly wrong i'm presuming that you wanted to become, do all actors, shall we say, want to become Hollywood actresses or do you want to go onto the stage? I'm presuming yeah. that most actors don't necessarily start off and say, I want to do voice acting, which seems to be a very specialised form of acting.
4: I think when you go to drama school you have an idea about what you want to do and I think for, for many it was about getting into theatre and doing mm-hmm. this and getting the live you know response from an audience and this I mean it sounds all very cliched, you know the smell of the grease paint and all that stuff that's what you feel like when you go to drama school you're desperate to do that kind of thing I was also trained as a dancer and so my great love when I first went to drama school was I think really what I wanted to do was musical theatre that never really came off I, I did a bit of, um, I did dancing obviously and trained and, and taught a bit but as soon as I was coming to leave drama school um, the chap who plays Eddie Grundy in The Archers it was already in The Archers and he'd, send, he'd give us a chat about working in professional acting and, and he said oh you know they're auditioning for The Archers and so I almost fell into that because I went along for the audition and I didn't get the <laughs> I went for another two parts actually prior to getting Susan but I auditioned and suddenly I was in the world of radio so I hadn't had a dream of being a radio actress it just happened so I didn't I didn't go out thinking yes I want to be in a radio star I, I really but, wanted to, but to you, do you, ve- you very much
3: are though aren't you and I think one of the kind of fascinating things for me is to try and understand how it must be to have one of the most recognizable voices on radio Radio 4, if not radio within the UK, but mm. not actually to be physically recognised. <laughs>
4: that's that's a weird one but actually it's quite lovely really because you can go around your normal everyday life and i can be you know work in psychology and go to conferences and and talk about this that and the other um and no one knows and that's quite nice actually and then someone will drop it into the conversation you know somebody who knows and will say oh did you know that you know charlotte does this and then suddenly the whole the whole um, dynamic (laughs) of the of the conversation changes and it's it's lovely i mean it opens lots of doors because everyone's heard of the archers um one of the tales i tell from years and years ago was about the anonymity of radio Mm -hmm. Um, i was wandering in in waterstones of all places in in birmingham which had a big staircase going up to the different floors and i was walking down the staircase um and a man walked past me and he came running back down and stopped me and said you're susan carter aren't you and i almost fell down the stairs (laughs) because I mean, who's going to recognise me from what I look like to be Susan Carter? Anyway, it turned out he was a book rep, mm-hmm. and he uh, had been flogging or trying to sell the one of the Archer's books, and my picture was in it because normally, as you say, you know, it's, it's all anonymous and and no one knows who you are, and so it's quite good fun actually. I quite like that.
3: So a book obviously contains lots of words And I know that poetry means an awful lot to you Now going on to your piece of music Before we specifically talk about your poetry The artist who you've chosen is Kate Bush And you are the second Kate Bush fan To get her onto Friday 15 So props to you And Um, she's definitely somebody who had Had in the past Who has a great way Not just with a Her vocal style, but also with her use of words to invoke imagery. Uh, Tell me about Anne Dreams of Sheep.
4: Well, Anne Dreams of Sheep. I could have chosen so many of her her songs because, as you say, she's she's a real creative force and is a poet in her own right. But going back a little bit, I I went this Dream of Sheep. He's on her um, one of her famous albums from the Mm eighties. And it's Hounds of Love, I think it is. She did um, a big show, I don't know, about three years ago. I managed to get tickets for that. She used a lot of the songs from Hounds of Love in reworking it and and, and putting another creative spin on it for this show, which was absolutely marvellous, magical evening. And and Dream of Sheep was one of the, the songs. And it's basically about a woman who's lost at sea and she's floating in the sea and she's getting very, very exhausted and is trying to fight the sleep that's overwhelming her and it's just one of those songs that every time I hear it it soothes and inspires and charms and it's a, a very simple, simple song but it's magical um, and I could listen to it and I think I will listen to it forever it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful song
0: Little light
5: shining. She
3: Charlotte, I know you've actually got quite a good taste in music, because uh, we've we kind of had a, a slight backwards and forwards once before on, on yeah. the old Twitters. What's Susan Carter be into, musically, do you reckon? Oh like?
4: my goodness. Gosh. I don't
3: think it's going to be anything as sophisticated as your taste.
4: I know. Um, I think Susan likes... Um, she probably likes people like, I don't know, very poppy stuff, I would imagine, you know, kind of a middle of the road stuff, stuff that isn't as very, very challenging that she could probably listen to without actually engaging much with it. Whereas myself, I have music on every single day and want to engage with it as, as much as possible um, so yeah Susan Carter's Tasty Music mm, I can't think of anybody I don't want to insult any musicians.
3: <laughs> <laughs> would
4: you be like a status
3: quo fan i put her down as something kind of like that really.
4: She probably would um, I think there was an episode not long ago she had a birthday party didn't she I think and, and uh, lots of old uh, school friends came to the party and I think they had that kind of music in the background so you're probably right Right, yeah, she'd probably she'd probably be doing that horrible status quo dance, you know, that people do. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, done
3: a faux air guitar backwards and forwards thing. Yeah, All yeah, right.
4: yeah. No, I'm I'm just thinking that perhaps Susan and it, Susan will have a favourite song that her and Neil listen to or that play uh, at every anniversary or something. But um, I don't like to think what that is, so we I don't think we'll go there. <laughs> So you talked about
3: actors' chemistry before. Mm-hmm. After playing character for so many years, and you have an, not yeah, I was going to say an on-screen husband, an on-mic husband. Yeah, I presume you must know each other, you know, pretty well, and how you're going to each other's going to react in a specific scene.
4: Mm. Yeah, we do. I mean, it's, it's, it's very strange. I mean, I've known Brian Hewlett, who plays Neil, as I say, for a long, long time. And we've we've grown together. I mean, Susan as a character has grown up because she was supposed to be, I think she was only 18 when she went into the programme. So I hate to say this because it makes it sound like we're not doing it professionally, but it, it is almost like an automatic pilot. It's like you walk into the world of Ambridge. Mm-hmm. And you meet your husband, who you've been with for years, and you just... Our husband and wife. Um, Brian is a fantastic actor to work with. He's very, very giving. And again, what I was saying earlier about being a, a good actor is about listening to the other person in, 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 in the dialogue um, and, and reacting and responding naturally to, to that person. Um, and Brian Hewlett is one of those actors that it's impossible not to respond to and, and work closely with. He's, he's a, great, a great partner.
3: Many actors... In more, let's say, traditional forms of acting, kind mm. of get into character by donning the robes or so, you know, getting into costume. Mm. How exactly do you get into voice, if that's even the expression, to do Susan Carter?
4: yeah again that that's that's a a, a strange one like i say it, 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 walking into studio is almost like walking into another dimension you um it happens it, it, it's it's bizarre thing and i think if i try to analyze it too much i'm not sure whether it would work i think with, with all of us who exaggerate or put on accents in the program we um it's almost it is almost akin to putting a costume on uh, literally walking to the studio you see the mic there you see the argo in the in the corner of the kitchen yeah and and you you almost not rather than physically put some clothes on you you mentally put the robes on of the auditory robes i suppose we could call it of mm. susan um so it's 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 a it's a weird thing Again, going back to when I was first in it, it was more of an effort, but now it's it's, it's very automatic. It's like the second skin. So, for Friday 15
3: listeners that mm. don't know Susan Carter, they'll probably know a little bit of her now after this interview. Yeah. Describe her voice.
4: Okay, so it, it's um ambridge is set in kind of worcestershire way there's no absolute definitive place but um it's sort of south of birmingham in the worcestershire area so susan's voice is slightly countryfied with a little bit of a midlands twang to it she's quite gossipy so she'll always be interested so you'll hear an element i think in her voice of of kind of always trying to find out things from people and uh, When I listen to her now, when I listen to how how I play her, I I hear a great musicality in her voice. The voice has a lot of range in it. And I think that also comes from working in radio for a long time, that you know that you have only the only tool you have as an actor is your voice so you have to make in order to get people to listen and continue listening then you have to make your voice as interesting as possible and i think susan's voice is quite interesting if not irritating at times
3: (laughs) (laughs) so at that voice comes words just finish up charlotte by telling us about your poetry
4: Okay, well that's great that you've given me the opportunity to just mention that. Uh, I've been writing poetry for an awfully long time um, and never really shown anybody it, but um, I recently showed a publisher who was quite positive about it. I'd really like to get some published if I could. The poems I write, you would not be surprised to hear, are about interpersonal relationships.
3: Not surprised at all.
4: They're about the way we respond to each other. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of inspiration from um, photographs, particularly photographs from kind of the 1930s and 40s. I look at images from from those times and that inspires me. Um, Just before you go on,
3: I'm going to jump in. Why mm. is that the case? Because, again, I do look at what you do on on Twitter and Mm. what you just said is absolutely borne out by Mm. when you tweet along to the archer. So what is it about the 1930s? What is it about those black and white images that so speaks to you?
4: When I was little, I, I was brought up. My, my, my mother used to love Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, and all those black and white movies. And you know, I went to dancing from when I was the age of three. So in our house, there was lots of music. There were lots of musical films on. Just grown up with the love of the glamour and the music, and I just think black and white images are so more in depth and colour I mean I know it sounds it sounds bizarre because you'd imagine wouldn't you that colour photographs and colour images are going to be more vibrant and more realistic but it's something to do with the black and white imagery a lot of the photographs I take myself um I change to black and white just because I think they they're more dramatic they evoke more do you think there's an analogy between visual acting and voice
3: acting and colour photographs and black and white that there is in the reduction, there's a
4: deeper truth. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps that's right. I hadn't thought of it that way. Radio acting is, is very traditional, it's very basic in that it teaches just your voice, so you've got to do it right. And therefore, it has a kind of gravitas, perhaps, that telly doesn't necessarily have, because in telly, you've got such a a wide range of stimulus, haven't you? You've got visual images, you've got voices, you've got clothes, and you haven't really got to do a lot of work, have you, when when you're watching television necessarily, Um, whereas with radio you have. And I think it's the same with black and white photography. You're You're given very little apart from the image, to detract from that image and I think therefore that may make it more attractive and more interesting to understand.
3: Charlotte Martin, thank you for coming on to Friday 15 and sharing with us your innate love of 1930s imagery, photography, the voice, acting and also our joint love of the artist.
4: Thank you. Oh well thank you very much, it's been a pleasure.
3: Punk is playing at my house. Is the first single from LCD Sound System and was released on February 2005.
2: That punk is playing at my house, my house. I'll show you the ropes, kid. Show you the you don't.
3: Jamaican singer Dawn Penn and was re-released in 1994. The song has been remade and reworked many times since its 1960s original version was pressed. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Don't forget you can follow the show's progress on Facebook by simply typing in Friday 15. You can also find us on Twitter Where you can follow me, where I'm at Royfield spelled R O I F I E L D. Now every Thursday, you can jump onto Twitter and tweet me and nominate a song for me to put into this week's Friday 15. iTunes reviews, folks, are extremely important. They're the lifeblood of any podcast. Please go onto iTunes and write us a, a glowing review. And don't forget, finally, you can email me, well, I'm Roy Fields, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. See you all again in seven days time for more good music and great conversation.